Buck and Gas, live from the uh, Carter Volkswagen studio. We're joined in studio by uh, our Bracket Madness winner, uh, Chad Beck. He joins us, lives up in Snohomish. We've actually sweetened the body. He's going to go to dinner with Calabro and Wheels when he's they, down they there. They don't know that. Well, in, yeah. he's actually going <laughs> to... Calabro hasn't agreed to this yet, but he's actually going to call a quarter of the game. Look, give me a pen. We'll write free dinner with Casey <laughs> and Wheels. And you just hand it to him when you see... Gas said you'd take care of this yeah. for me. <laughs> and you get it to, what's the most expensive restaurant in Portland? Oh, Taco right. time. Ta- <laughs> they have an El Gaucho down there, but there's got to be something. I'm trying to think. I don't know. And and Calabro said he'll put you up at the Benson, too. Ooh, yeah, that's the good living there. Suite at the, that's at the Benson. good living at the Benson. Uh, so you we, know who had an experience at the Benson? You want to hear who? a funny story? Oh, do you sure. like funny stories? Oh, yes, I do. You know me, you're, of course. Your boy, this is this is one of the classics. You'll, you'll relate to this. Your boy, Jason Hamilton. Uh-oh. One of our favorites. Jay Ham and his family are in Portland. This is, I don't know, six, seven years ago. The NCAAs, it was the year Washington and Gonzaga both got sent to Portland. Okay. And uh, and they're not playing each other. They're playing, but what? But Ham's down there. And and I, I remember the, the, the great part of the story is like, you know, he, he got to the arena right before the broadcast started. And Rondo didn't say anything, but Bob, that's kind of odd. You know, Jason's normally here earlier. And, yeah. You know, con- conscientious, and Jason's like rattled, and what's going on? Well, he was rattled because you know, I think I've got, I think I've got this right. They're in their room in the Benson. They got so the mom, dad, and the two kids are sharing the one big room, and Jason <laughs> is moving something. I want to say he was moving a stroller or something, and he hits, he slams into one of the fire oh, things. Yeah, I do remember that. And and it, and it starts spraying. It starts spraying <laughs> foam and water all over. So there's. Complete and utter chaos yeah. in the room. You know, everybody's screaming, and you know, I mean, how angry this this be a thing where you know, you don't want to swear in front of your kids, but at that point you're like, you know, oh, just, you're dropping uh, it left and right, right? Yeah, and, and so they they somehow got everything cleaned up, and then Jason got you know got himself got had another suit and put that on. But yeah, that's <laughs> that's what you have to look forward to when you're at the Benson. Don't uh, hit the, the little fire hose thing. Uh, uh, the uh, Supreme Court today, gas uh, struck down the Professional Amateur Sports Protection Act. Uh, a 1992 law that barred state-authorized sports gambling, with uh, some exceptions. Uh, Nevada, the only state where a person could wager on the results of a single game. And we've talked to, loosely talked about this story for a very long time. This was something that was you never knew when it was going to come down. But uh, the court ruled in favor in New Jersey and against the NCAA, NFL, NBA, NHL, and Major League Baseball. It caps a nearly six-year legal battle and overturning a federal statute that the sports leagues had uh, stood by for more than 20 years. This is uh, the baby, the only thing that Governor Chris Christie's ever done well in his life oh. was, was this thing right here. Yeah. And uh, New Jersey now will be, along with uh, Nevada, will be able to now take uh, sports bets. Uh, they have Monmouth Park. They put a sports book in Monmouth Park. They're ready to go. And now the the thought is... This is just the beginning. The floodgates will open for every other state to do this now. And I got to think for New Jersey, I'm assuming this will dramatically impact Atlantic City because you've never been able sure. to sport. You know that's going to be huge. I mean, with their proximity to New yeah. York and Philadelphia and everything. And I'm with you. I think this is now going to lead to to more. You know, it, it's going to become states are going to look at the amount of money and they're going to go look. This is this is a way to generate more money. Well, pay. I mean, what what do we always hear when it comes to sports or anything? Well, what what about the what about the the schools and the mm-hmm. children mm-hmm. here in Seattle? Be what about the homeless? Right. You know, we jo- we joked about on Twitter earlier today when during the break. I mean, listen, Seattle City Council, you want to solve the homeless problem? You go to talk to the state right now and be the first ones in line yeah. after New Jersey yeah. to get this thing passed. Because right. the the amount of money this thing will generate if they do it right will call will solve anything that you want to do around here. Yeah. And now look, I'll say this: 
it'll be interesting to see how history looks back on this time. Yeah. Where we started embracing and taxing our sins. Where we started acknowledging, you know what? A lot of people like pot. Yeah. In a lot of states, in a lot of places in the Union. A lot of people like a sugary Coca-Cola. A lot of people like sugary Coca-Cola. A lot of people like to bet on a football game. Cigarettes. Cigarettes. A lot of people like to smoke. Now, is any of this stuff ostensibly good for us? Probably not. But going back you know, years and years. I mean, they were betting on the chariot races way back in the yeah. day, right? I mean, somebody was saying something. Of course. There right? Was, there's, oh, betting is, I mean, I guess I've always thought that we're all adults here, right? Yeah, I mean, it's the, the competition side of it, we're all adults. I mean, yes. I used to joke with people, say, well, when, when did auto racing start? And I go, about five minutes after the second car was invented. <laughs> hey, hang on. Let's see which one of these yeah, is fast. Right. It's human. Hey, hey, Washington State's playing Indiana in football. Let's make bet. a bet on it. And it Let's... doesn't have to be big, obviously. Will there be some downside to it? Yes. Will, the, will there be people that become addicted to gambling? Of course. Yes. There's people addicted to alcohol. It doesn't stop us from selling alcohol. Well, then people are people already... addicted to cigarettes. Well, yeah, it doesn't stop us from, from selling cigarettes or making cigarettes. Right. Someone right. wants to put whatever amount is on the the Warriors to cover tonight against the Houston mm-hmm. Rockets or vice versa, then that person should have every right to take his or her hard-earned money yeah. and place it down on a game so they can watch for fun. What's more American... Yes. And being able to take my money. Hell, I invest money in the stock market. Legalized gambling is way less crooked than that. Oh, way less crooked. You know what? Crooked. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I think about that all the time. I honestly I think about that all the time when it comes to, I mean, really, at the end of the day, you can play gambling like you play the stock market. It is a gamble. The stock yeah. market's a gamble. The stock what do you market's think that a is? huge gamble. Ask anybody is. who was around during 2008 <laughs> or like 1999 or whenever it was. So 20 states have signed uh, in support for New Jersey. This was when they was going through all the mm-hmm. processes you know, going back to 2012. 20 states, West Virginia, Mississippi, Wisconsin, Louisiana, Arizona, Florida, the great state of Indiana, yeah. Kansas, Kentucky, Maryland, Missouri, Nebraska, New Hampshire, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, Rhode Island, Tennessee, Texas, and Utah. Utah, yeah. Now nah, you didn't hear Washington listed on there. So no, we're going to be. We'll be late. We to will this. be the last one, won't yeah. we? Won't you know, we? So we'll you, be the last one on board. In Indiana, I grew up in an area again. It just where I grew up, gambling was just kind of second nature. I mean, I I knew guy people in my family who were bookies. I mean, I, who, yeah. Were, were still are, <laughs> Mike. <laughs> I remember sitting in 1990 with my friends, uh, uh, a couple of guys I've known for years, and, and we were all sitting in my mom and dad's house. Vinny Paparino. We're getting ready to go to see the Indy 500. Yeah. And, and they start saying, can you make a bet on this? And my dad goes, well, I can call a guy. I mean, yeah, of course you can. Of course you can bet on this. It's a huge event. Of course you can get a bet in on it. You know, so the idea of making it legal and the idea of, uh, you know, will it be the panacea for everything that ails us? Probably not. But is it something that can, I, I think, unless they complete, unless we've completely, you know, miscalculated here, this should add to the coffers of most places that embrace it. Well, and I think too, I, I think that the natural reaction will be, what about the integrity of, of some of these games? And, and, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, you know, an easy way to find out if a game's fixed to have gambling on it. Yeah. How exactly. do they find out when games are fixed? It's because somebody in Vegas, the, the, yeah. the, the Arizona State Washington basketball game, the, the the ASU team. Remember, they had the kids yeah. that were throwing the game Benny, twenty years ago or something. How did they find out about that? Well, it's because a casino called the Federales right. and said, "Hey, this is odd. It's a Thursday night Pac-10 game." Here's what should be getting bet on it, and here's what is getting bet on it, and this has raised 
our eyebrows. They are, want it to be more on the. That's the thing about like Nevada in the gaming industry. They want it to be more on the up and up than anybody. Completely on the up and up. They Take them out through the front yes. door. Show them what happens to people who cheat yeah, in this casino. They, they want yeah. it to be on the up and up. So they yeah. will be the greatest group of people that will oversee if there's right. any illegal activity going on. It doesn't so, behoove them. It doesn't behoove them at all to have it. So, so they want it to be on the up and up. And it, it, I, I think this will ultimately be something that will be kind of interesting. Like I said, you know, they've, they've legal. Where is pot legalized? Now, how many states? Is it 30? Oh, God, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's a yeah, lot. And I mean, there are people that still wring their hands about it, but it's like it seems like. You, 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 know, need, you always need the first domino to fall for then everybody else right. to get on board. Now that first domino has fallen with, with New Jersey today. Yeah. And then if, you know, one, and I would assume that as soon as they can, these 20 states I just listed will be the first ones that will apply or, or pass it through their, you know, their yeah. state legislature to, you know, get gambling. And, you know, for Washington, again, we have a lot of, you know, things we want to pay for in this state and do in this city in particular. Well, I just hope we are not going to be like the one of the last ones to do it. Cause I just, I don't, if there's sports books or I have to go to a place, that's fine. I just want like back in the day before Greg Ward made me not be able to do it anymore. I want to go on my phone yeah. and place a bet. Yeah. Okay. And I don't bet a lot, but I like doing it cause it's fun. Here's the thing to this state. I like to go to the ponies and bet. Yeah. This state really should embrace this because. And and this is part, in, in my opinion, it's just my opinion, part of why we're in a constant budget crunch in this state is because there's no state income tax. Yeah, true. Now, good luck getting elected on that platform. Good luck getting elected. I'm going to yeah. start a state income. Well, okay, if we're not going to do that, then what are the other ways we can do? Well, this here's a way to generate some money. And, and yeah, of course. You, you know, it's at some point, because you can't, just continue to you know, i guess you could continue to tax businesses and you, you guess what they're going to do they're going to leave right. you're going to tax them right out of way, here this is a way if you want to support things and if someone like you or i or chad and chad's i mean he's been betting nonstop since he's been in our in-studio he's on his now. phone right now it's unbelievable he's been calling mm-hmm. he's been calling his guy nonstop. He's gonna try to get action on the warriors and, and rockets game tonight but you know i think that if those people choose to do it and then you tax it, then okay, then there's your money. That's, that's where you, that's where you get your cash flow from. I mean, you think about some of these numbers. I, I, and I knew some of these numbers before I looked them up today, but I was, I was blown away. They say, I read this article today. They, they think some organizations in what Adam Silver, and here's the thing, the Adam Silver and the NBA have been out in front of this and they're doing mm-hmm. the smart thing and the other leagues will follow eventually. See, he wants a piece of it. Right, he wants like one percent right. of it, right? Which is smart because if you want, listen, if we're if it's going to be legal, let's go all in, let's be a part of it, and let's profit off of it. Right, right. And, you know, the one league that stands to gain the most money is the NFL, and they yeah. love money. The old NFL. Look, remember the NFL did not you know, pretended for several years that fantasy football didn't exist until right. they figured out, hey, we could make some money on this by putting it on our site, and so yeah, it, this is I, I I think well, I'll tell you what. If if gambling had been legal yesterday, I'd be broke today because I'd have put a bundle on the Cavaliers and and I'd be sitting here going, I don't know what I'm going to do. You wouldn't have taken the Celtics. We're, we're not going to have the money to make a house payment. Well, <laughs> um, they think some estimate. This article I read earlier this morning, I think it was from Forbes. They estimate that they based why Adam Silver came to the conclusion of one percent. They mm-hmm. based it on this figure that I think was done by actually the American Gaming Association. They think that um, four hundred billion dollars. Is wagered illegally in sports a year. Four hundred billion. Four hundred billion mm. is wagered illegally. Mm. I mean, you just—that's all you need to know. When, yeah. If you—if and let's say it's not four hundred. Yeah. Let's say it's two hundred. Right. I mean, think about that for a second. That's how much money people are 
betting on sports illegally, not doing an event. I'll give you some more. How about what what do you think last year people bet on the NCAA tournament? This again is according to the American Gaming Association. L- legally or illegally? Uh just total bets. Total. Total bets played. On the NCAA tournament? NCAA tournament. How much do you say is total? Is four hundred billion? Well they think they're legally wagered on sports each year. I would bet almost half of that is on the NCAA Close, tournament. Yeah, no, but it, see, this is the part they think that it's only ten point four billion. But I think ten ten point four billion is a ton of money placed in the NCAA tournament. I, I'm surprised but, that's not higher. But let me give you what's what's what uh, caught my attention about it. They say ninety seven percent of those bets mm-hmm. were illegal. Were illegal. Illegal. Illegal bets. Yeah. So right. not done, obviously, in Nevada. Right. Think about that. I mean, yeah, that's just it's, the, the thirst for it. Uh, the desire to bet on it right. is through the is through the roof. I mean, last year the Nevada Gaming Control last year said it reported about basically five billion dollars was bet on sports books. Yeah, I mean it's the Super Bowl is always just a, an astonishing number after that, and again, yeah, yeah, this is this has been coming for a while. Yeah, uh, the Super Bowl when uh, when New England came back and beat Atlanta, uh, they say uh, again that gaming association says four point seven billion dollars was bet on that game. Uh, when New England came back and beat Atlanta, only two and a half percent of wagers placed legally. Again, only two and a half percent of those bets are legal, and they think that year, last year, uh, they estimate around ninety billion dollars mm-hmm. uh, was bet um, with the com- combination of college football and NFL. <laughs> so yeah, it, and, and it's the money. It, it's it's big cities. It's small. Yeah. I lived in a, in a small, tiny little town in Nebraska. Yeah, there was a guy. Yeah. I lived in a small, tiny little town in Virginia. There was a guy. This guy, the guy in Virginia, used to used to have to call the florist. He ran. He's like, "Hey, how you doing? Now, I don't need any flowers today, but here's I what I a, do need. I need Johnny. fifty on Southern Miss." <laughs> now, and I do like, like uh, you know, we we all kind of put, you know place bets, and I, I I do. There is that. I am a kind of a a, a romantic. I do like the phone call. Yeah, yeah, give me give me twenty five on on yeah. the Cavs tonight. Yeah, right. There is right. there's something, but I like convenience. And you know what? And we're all addicted to our damn phone. Yeah. And it, I just like like when we were telling Chad earlier. I mean, if if people haven't been to Vegas lately, go to Vegas when you when you right when you land there, you download an app on your phone mm-hmm. that allows you to like it's your own sports book. It allows you to place bets on sports. Right. You don't have to even go into a sports book. You just write on your phone. You, you you go to these Knights games, uh, the NHL games, and eventually it'll happen with the Raiders coming to town. And you're just sitting there betting on this while you're sitting in your chair and drinking beer. I mean, we were talking to our our new friend, our Australian punter, the other yep. day, and I was mentioning Aussie rules football. I remember this real clear. Puck is going to the Melbourne Cricket Ground to see uh, to see a match, and and I I Joe, it's not quite this segment, but I remember saying hey, it's kind of fun because you stand in line and you get your beer, then you stand in line and you get your Aussie meat pie, then you stand in line and make a bet on the game. Yeah. At the stadium, you get it. Of course, I mean they've Australia's had a lot of countries have had this kind of thing for for years. Well, and, that will be interesting. Cause I, and I guess I don't know. Well, this is. I mean, I'm clearly not a lawyer when it gets into these mm-hmm. what they can do inside the football stadium. I would assume because it's a Nevada, it's a state law that listen. The, the NFL can't prevent them from having that app on their phones and saying they can bet while the game is taking place. I, I have no idea. I don't but, know how you could. I, I don't know. I don't know what the NFL could do. And, and listen, the NFL, you would agree with this. NFL's always had this this hypocritical attitude oh, towards yeah. gambling. Yeah. 
Like we all we we're above the fold here on gambling. No, Nobody's gambling. Yeah, the whole well, your whole sport is based on gambling. Well, who was the guy from the NCAA last year who said if they took away the brackets, people would still be interested in the no, game? No, I'm like, wouldn't. are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? If, if there was a way to say brackets are illegal, if you fill one out, you're going to die, and you, their ratings would plummet, and it'd watch. just be down, straight downhill. I mean, how much? Uh, they'll be curious. I'm going to ask at lunch with listeners coming up at noon about this. You know, how much does this change the game for sports? Does it bring new people in? How involved are people on on the weekends? I mean, I, I just know for me that when when the game is the first thing I do when the game is kind of out of control at the end in any sporting event, mm-hmm. and I'm watching it like uh, teams up by twenty. I want the, what's the spread? Yeah, what's the spread? What's the over under? Because mm-hmm. that's what will keep me engaged, right? And I want to see. All right, oh my God, it's eighteen. Oh, well, they're only up by twenty right now. That it gets you to watch the final few minutes of something. I'm not, and it'll be interesting to see. I'm not sure it'll have that kind of an impact. I think sports fans are going to watch anyway. Yes. I think it will enhance for a lot of sports fans their viewing enjoyment, and I think it will definitely in a state like Washington, where there's a there's a constant shortage. It feels like because of how we're structured, this this may be a way to to help that out. Well, and then too, if we can ever get, I mean, the Holy Grail, Nirvana for me will be when we get to that point, like in Australia. Where you can just go to the I walk and, into yeah. CenturyLink mm-hmm. and I'm standing in line for my fifteen dollar beer. Mm-hmm. Then I can take that other fifteen or twenty dollars and then make a bet. Yeah, but that's what I want. Yeah, you go in in the state, the city, whoever immediately gets a bite out of that. Sure. You're losing, no matter, and then here's what you can win possibly. Right. Yeah, because I when I was in when when Ian and I were working down in Portland, we did it. There was a there was a what did they call it? Ian will remember it. It was called the uh, sports lottery. Yeah, they had a they had a, a, a parlay card basically for NFL, you, right? A parlay card NFL. You Oregon sports lottery, I think, was what it was called. You filled out every game. It was mm-hmm. a parlay, yeah. and you put in any any type of money into it, and then you would fill it out at any bar. And I was living in Vancouver, so I would drive the two minutes over to Jansen Beach, right. fill it out, right, and and do it that that way. Then they got rid of it because I think it was the Ian will know the story, but I think it was the NCAA threatened. To never give them another right, right. NCAA tournament uh, basketball game there. You have to get rid of it, and then they did. And that's what I love. My favorite part of this whole segment was you reading the amount of people the Supreme Court basically said, go jump in a lake. Because this extortionism that's been happening with these, you know. Was, wasn't it Wasn't it like Delaware was in line for this? They said, well, we'll never have an NCAA event in Delaware. And like, well, you never have. Yeah. What right. the hell? Why should we worry sports about Sports action. Think? The mayor just, uh, it just uh, texted me. Sports action. It was the greatest thing in the world. All right. Coming up next. Uh, we'll do more reflection on the life of uh, Chuck Knox as a person, as a coach, uh, one of his uh, former t- players. Safety, Eugene Robinson, will join the show next. Now back to Puckett and the Gas Man on Seattle Sports Radio 950 KJR, entertaining sports talk. You know me, I've been winning pro football games for years, but most people still think my place is on the sidelines. That's why I wanted my own TV show. Now, every Monday night, I can show you what's important on the field and off. Seahawks strategies, player profiles, my picks for next week. And to make sure no one's just sitting on the sidelines, <laughs> I want you to make the calls. The Chuck Knox Show. Don't go to bed machine. Mondays without it. <laughs> There's the old promo from uh, Como That's Television. Fabulous. I know uh, my man Ian's going to have more on that coming up at 1 o'clock. Ian was, I think, uh, right out of college, I believe, working for Como TV. In fact, I think he worked on that show 
uh, the Chuck Knox Show right after Monday Night Football. Mm. Uh, we, we talked to uh, Claire Farnsworth earlier today in the show, reflecting on the life of, of Chuck Knox. Uh, Claire covering the team for a long time back with the Seattle PI, also Seahawks.com. Uh, we'll check in here with uh, Eugene Robinson here in just a second, uh, who played 11 seasons there in Seattle, and he joins us right now on the Beacon Plumbing Hotline. Uh, Eugene, welcome to the show. I, I said this to Claire when we had Claire Farnsworth on earlier today. Uh, we love having you on. We would like it to be under different circumstances, but we appreciate your time. And and uh, you just you can start us off with your thoughts, your reflections on your former head coach. Uh, I guess I, I think the place place to start is um, how just a very good coach he, he was, and and I just can remember, and I was talking about this today in our locker room is when Coach Knox would go ahead and he would he would address everyone. He made it. He he really made it seem like he was talking directly to you with those steely blue eyes. Like uh, a case in point, there was somebody who hailed somebody on on a play on the offense, and he started talking. He said, "Look, I don't know." Who was holding? And he starts looking across the room. He said, but you know who you are. He said, we can't have those type of penalties. And he made that incredible eye contact that I said, this was back in 1985, I'm like, hey, I'm not on the office. I wasn't even, I'm not even on the office. What are you talking about? Why is he looking at me? And then it was the, the noxisms that we would always, like, we would always would say. I can remember myself, uh, Steve Larger, uh, Jeff Kipp, we would always talk about these noxisms. He would say stuff like, uh, don't tell me how rough the water is. Just bring the ship on in, baby. Just bring it on in. <laughs> and, 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 and I got to get this one in. He told me, I'm the free safety. And one time I suggested, hey, which guy do I need to cover? I mean, there's a guy running a deep, uh, a deep go rock. There's a guy running a deep post. Which one do I cover? And so he addressed it in front of everybody without calling my name. He said, I got a guy on this team talking about who should I cover, coach? Which guy do I need to get? He said, you get the man with the ball. That's the way it ought to be played. That's third grade Swickley. I didn't know what Swickley was. I thought Swickley was like some famous guy who played ball back in the 50s and 40s, and I didn't know about that. Who's third grade Swickley? Well, he was talking about Swickley, Pennsylvania, that he learned that in the third grade, and I should have known that, you know, to get the man with the ball. And so it was those type of things that kind of kept uh, not guys on the feet, uh, guys on our feet, but also it, it, the seriousness about how well, how well he how hard he took football, like, this is a serious business, and you got to step up to the plate. And so those are some of the memories I have with Coach uh, Knox and, and some beautiful memories that I have. Eugene, he coached for 31 years in the NFL as an assistant and as a head coach, and a word that keeps coming up in everything I'm reading, hearing from so many of you guys who played for him, was that he was honest with you. He, he shot you straight. You knew, you knew where you stood. I mean, he had all these crazy yeah. sayings, all these fun stuff that he said, but that he treated, and this sounds cliche, but he treated you like men and treated you honestly, and that led you to want to play as hard as you can. Is, is that how you yeah, look back much, at him? Yeah, that much is true when Coach Knox, when he coached us. Uh, I remember one of the time that he told me that I was demoted. He, he just told me uh, flat out. He said, look, I brought this guy, Johnny Johnson, in, and he's going to replace you. He said, remember when you came in the league, you replaced somebody? Well, he's going to replace you until you're able to get this thing together. Hmm. And he replaced me. He told me what the deal was. And about three weeks later, uh, I got it together, and, and I, became that, uh, I became that starter the rest of that season. I had a, a really good uh, season, but he had a way of pushing you because no one wants to get demoted. And that, he just told me flat out that this is what he's going to go and do. And get used to it. That's part of the landscape of what, what you signed up for. But it was the honesty in that. 
because he could have hemmed and hauled and, mm-hmm. and, and kind of played us both. I'll play you at one quarter, you another quarter. He just said, no, I'm replacing you. So they said, first team up. And I know that I was not a part of the first team anymore, and I had to wait my turn and wait in the wings until I could be a part of that uh, first team. Eugene Robinson is, is our guest right now on the Beacon Plumbing Hotline, Puck and Gas. Uh, Eugene spending 11 years uh, with the Seattle Seahawks, drafted in 1985, was a rookie, right in the heyday of Chuck Knox. What – you know, we we when we were talking to Claire Farnsworth earlier about this, and I've seen this, you know, been been mentioned about Chuck uh, a lot since his passing yesterday from all of you, the former players of of how well he related to you guys. That he was a players coach, Eugene. Uh, you know, when I was growing up back in the '80s, I mean, this was my wheelhouse as a as a youth, eight, nine, ten, eleven years old, watching you guys play and watching him coach. I never would have suspected he would be a player's coach because he had such a different personality. How I viewed him, you know, from the public in the locker room when the doors were closed, uh, how how relatable was he? What made him such a a huge kind of fatherly figure for most of you? Well, he got the most out of you. He got the most out of your ability. Um, he challenged you. There's no doubt about that. And and that's what you um, that's what you 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 think of quickly. And when our players coach, I thought different. I thought differently at that time because I used to. He was too hard on me. I used to say, "Man, does Coach Knox like me? I don't think he likes me." <laughs> um, but that wasn't the case. And I can remember telling my wife, "I said, man, the coach he just doesn't like me." And I said, "He he likes Kenny better. He likes." You know, you, you, you go through almost like this little sibling thing. He doesn't like me. And that wasn't the case. It wasn't until I was coming back to Seattle at a Jacob Green uh, Foundation thing, and I was coming up the escalator in the Western Hotel, me and my wife, and I saw Coach Knox. And I said to the GS, I said, oh, gee, man, he doesn't like me. Man, I need to just be cordial. I got up to the top of the escalator, and he said, Eugene Robinson, one of my favorite football players, and I looked at him. I said, Coach, I said, I got to be honest. I thought you didn't like me. He said, man, no, I loved you. He said, no, no. I, I knew that I needed to get the best out of you, so I had to go ahead and make you work and get on you. He said, no, young man. He said, on the contrary, I loved you. And that was one of the biggest, I guess, you know, when you have your own perspective of what you think and you realize that your perspective is wrong and you realize that the guy that you – broke your back for and and that he really really did appreciate that but he didn't let me know at the time but he did appreciate that when it was all done i, I thought that was one of the most um uh enjoyable moments of my life here coach Knox tell me that i was one of his favorite football players eugene what was he like you know one of the things claire talked about was kind of the way he guided you guys through that 87 year where there's a you know the players are on strike then they're going to use replacement players it's really it's it's you know it's hard to even imagine that that happened when you think back on it how did he guide the team through how was he successful at at kind of keeping you guys all on track at a time where it was easy to be divisive well he he, he treated us like men and also he knew that the landscape of the strike, he would do that free agency. He understood the he understood the climate of it. And what he did ask us to do, and he asked us for the leadership of the team, the Ken Eastleys, he asked us to keep keep those guys together because we were practicing off site. Mm-hmm. We were practicing off site at one of a couple of schools and we had to go ahead and still put game plans in the mix and things of that nature. And that was largely part due with the with the um with the veteran leadership. But under Coach Knox's uh, uh, leadership, he was like, hey, I need you guys to keep these guys together because it could get so fragmented. Nobody knows what's going to happen. But when we're ready to go, I want us to be ready to go. Well, that was kind of behind the scenes that no one knew about from 
from management from Chuck Knox. He can't be involved with all that stuff. He's got got all the strike and everything going on and, and suspicion and all of that stuff. But that was what was said behind the scenes. And so that was good because when, when the strike was over in that 87, we got to the business of football. And then we didn't miss too much of a drop, you know, uh, as far as the um, – the academics of football, not the physicality, but the academics of football, we didn't miss that much of a drop, but that was largely in part the veteran leadership of keeping us together because uh, uh, Chuck, Coach Knox wanted us to be stay together during this time. Hmm. Eugene, uh, great catching up with you, man. I, I know it's a, a tough day for all of you guys in, in reflecting back, but he was a, he was, sound like he was, well, he was a great coach because we watched it. I watched it up close and personal. Sounds like he was even a better person behind the scenes, and you guys got to be able to see that. And so uh, we all feel for you, the yeah. Seahawk family. Uh, he will be greatly missed. You know, I got a chance to talk to, um, and now his widow, uh, 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 Mrs. Knox, and I got a chance to talk to her, well, maybe uh, – a couple of months ago, guys, months ago, guys were calling her to, to, to you know, condolences and whatnot, but also to tell me the stories of things that I'm telling you guys. I was able to go ahead and enrich her some of those stories and how much he meant to, to me. So I got a chance to go ahead and, and, and brag about Coach Knox to his wife. That was another highlight, I would say. Yeah. So thank yeah. you. I really appreciate you guys. Call in, and thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Eugene. Appreciate it very much. Again, Eugene Robinson, 16 years in the NFL, 11 of which were played with the uh, Seattle Seahawks right in that heyday. He was drafted in 1985, and you know those were some great – I mean, we talk about the defenses that Pete Carroll's had here, and it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah that mid mid uh, mid to late 80s defense was tough. What was unbelievable. It was yeah. so good with uh, with all the talent that they had on that football team. Um, I want to share – you know, Bob Bob Condota wrote about this in the paper. In a, coming up our next segment, I want to share – he wrote like five memorable things down. Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably from Bob's perspective. And Bob, you know, grew up in this area too. I listed five of myself that were different from that that I think maybe we'll share. And if other people have memories, you can text them at a 49451. You're kind of in my age bracket, right? What were the highlights of watching that football team with that head coach on the sidelines when you were growing up in the Kingdom Watch? I want to share some of the memories that when I heard about it yesterday kind of stand out to me in the life of Chuck Knox. Taking a look at your drive, things are still a grind. Northbound I-5 from the Michigan Curve through the Convention Center. We had some road work holding you up there. Looks like that's been cleared. Southbound 5, you're heavy, though, from Northgate down to the Ship Canal and in South Center. Just a nasty commute. Northbound on 405, you're struggling from 518 from 99 all the way up to the scene where the two right lanes are blocked at the West Valley Highway. Southbound traffic is slowing as well as you take a look at that. Headed across Lake Washington, though, you're looking fantastic on either bridge. This look at traffic is brought to you by Mothers Against Drunk Driving for victims of drunk and drug driving. Their grief is unique, but you are not alone. MAD is there to help. Call their 24-hour victim helpline at 877-MAD-HELP or visit mad.org. That's M-A-D-D dot O-R-G. I'm Jill Diedrich, Sports Radio 950 KJR Traffic. Now back to Puckett and the Gas Man on Seattle Sports Radio 950 KJR. Entertaining sports talk. This would be a perfect song, really, lunch with listeners. You bounce back with this one. Um... We'll do lunch with listeners again coming up at noon. Brought to you by the Other Coast Cafe. It'll be simple. It'll be a gambling question. Uh, the Supreme Court ruling today that now you can gamble uh, in New Jersey. It's going to open up the floodgate for everyone. Do you the, I, do you gamble? Are you more likely to gamble and now, And are you right? more likely to gamble now that mm-hmm. they will eventually in this state will make it legal? Yeah. yeah. It'll be pretty simple. How much do you gamble right now and how much are you willing to even gamble more now that uh, it will likely... Whenever the time is, it's going to be legal everywhere. Um, so memories uh, on Chuck Knox. So Chuck Knox uh, passing away yesterday at the age of 86. Uh, 
I want to thank uh, Eugene Robinson mm-hmm. uh, for coming on last segment. It was great to catch up with Eugene. 11 years uh, wearing number 41 for your Seattle Seahawks. Also, Claire Farnsworth, longtime yeah. Seahawks reporter. And Boz is coming up. And Brian Bosworth is that? coming up at 1230. And the Boz, I, I mean, I would say of, of anyone that I saw on social media, had really probably the most heartfelt post mm-hmm. um, in reflecting back on on Chuck Knox. It was really great. He only, only again, you know, Boz only played three years, but it was all three years under under Chuck Knox. So the great Brian, I love. Now listen, you you want me to get starstruck? I'm going to get starstruck on Brian Bosworth. I love Brian Bosworth. Well, this will be I mean, a big is, day for you. Well, I mean, I grew up the we poster. We can leave. Chad and I can sure, go. The poster. I got to go to lunch anyway. You want to come with me? We'll the go Costico watch. Brothers poster we have out here. Uh-huh. The Land of Boz. Uh-huh. I mean, everybody that's in, that's my age at 42. What did you call them? The Costico? Is that what? Costacos. Costacos. I'm sorry. I, I sorry think Costacos better, though. The Costico Brothers and their great poster thing. No, well, I like You know that. what I was getting at. I know what you were doing. I'm sorry. Uh, the posters, but I did screw that up. The uh the the every kid that was in my wheelhouse dressed up as the little boss. Sure, yeah. Everyone for Halloween. Yeah. All right. So uh so Brian Bosworth coming up uh, at twelve thirty to reflect again also on Chuck Knox. Uh, so so in the paper today, you know, Bob kind of went through like five memories that you know that kind of stood out to him. And I was thinking like, and I remember, I remember all those games. I remember everything that he had listed in there. Now when they were in the playoff game in '83, I mean, I'm seven. So do I remember it specifically watching that? No. But I, you know, I, I vaguely remember it, but I don't remember the plays and everything. I was seven years old. I mean, but obviously I remember that season. I, the things that stood out to me the most, and this is in no particular, particular order. Um, you know, I think that one of the first memories that stood out to me when I, when I learned that he had passed away yesterday, 1985, and I had to go look up some of the stuff. I wanted to make sure I got everything right. 1985. This was the year. The next year is significant. But 1985, the Seahawks, they kick the living hell out of the Raiders. It's 33-3. I had to go make sure I got the score. It was 33-3. What was so significant about that was Mark Wilson, people remember, was the quarterback. And I believe Mark Wilson's from here. I think he went to Shorewood. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He went to BYU. He backed away from the center. He backed because he couldn't hear. And that was the big thing. They, they, you couldn't hear the crowd noise. And the reason the re- reason they implemented, remember there was a rule in the NFL that if the crowd got too loud, if they didn't settle down, you'd get penalized. It was put in place because of the kingdom. What had happened? And specifically, I think a lot of people will cite that game back in 1985. Mark Wilson uh, had a back away several times. He was sacked four times in that game. He threw four interceptions. The Seahawks kill him. I remember I was playing for the Maple Valley Raiders uh, little League football. A year later, this guy, who had a pretty good game, he had 51 yards on 12 carries, but he had to fill in because of the injury uh, to Warner, and he was the backup. It was Randall too hot to handle mm-hmm. Morris. Sure. Randall Morris. I remember he came and spoke to our, our Little League football team, and he had a good game uh, that year. 1986, I remember 1986 stands out to me because that's one of the teams. They ended up going 10-6 and six that year. They missed the playoffs. They had in the middle of the season they had had like a four game losing streak, but they ended the season. I want to I want to say there was five straight wins, and if anybody remembers that '86 season, they ended up beating the Giants that year in the middle of the year, and that was the Giants team that went on to win the Super Bowl. And I think to this day that is the best team that never that didn't go to the playoffs is the best team the Seahawks have ever had because that was a great football team. When I say best, best that didn't make the playoffs. Right, because right. Because had they gotten in, it, there was the classic, had they gotten in, 
they're going to go play for the Super Bowl. That's how good they were. Mm-hmm. They finished off the season. They routed Denver in the final game of the year. So I just remember I was sitting in uh, – That was we were not in the 300 level of, uh, that year, 1986. We're up. We we're behind the goalposts is where we were sitting. Uh, so I remember that one. I remember that game, that season vividly. Um, the Seahawks win – what year was that? That must have been – this is 85 or 87. The Seahawks win at Denver. It was 27-24. Their first score of that game was an 80-yard touchdown pass from Dave Craig. Oh, this this was 84 because this is when they changed their offense. Was uh, Dave Craig to Daryl TD Turner for 80 yards, and they <laughs> and you're up, seven, yeah, seven, eight years old yeah. at that point. They go on. That was the you know it's the year Warner gets hurt. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks they're going to fall apart. Uh, they go 12 and four. This is also the same year that has birthed the. I always pick them to win 12 games. They won twelve games, right? right. So every year, I just that's say when it started. Yeah, that's when it started. Yeah. They, they're going to go twelve and four. Yeah, but that was an awesome year because everyone thought the season was over. That they, I mean, this is a great football team, but now that Kurt's hurt, but boy, he was amazing in his ability, and that's what he doesn't get enough credit for because it's always ground chuck. Right, he changed his right. whole offense that year. Right, because he needed to. In that game, Craig threw for four hundred and like six yards and four touchdowns. Steve Largent that day in Denver, in which growing up. You know, I hate Denver, and the fact is that I married a woman who loves Denver and loves the Broncos is infuriating to me that she puts my kids in Broncos jerseys. May ultimately be the undoing of the whole thing. Steve Largent that day, and I remember him having a huge game, but I needed, again, all this stuff I had to go back and check. He had 12 catches for 191 yards in that game. That's the thing. It's funny. When I got out here, everybody's like, ground chuck, ground chuck. I'm like, God, you know, living in another part of the country, we used to love getting Seahawks games. It's like, they're, they're pretty electric. I mean, he, he had, they had moments where they were flying up and down. The yeah. Field. And then, uh, was it, I can double check. I think it was 86. I think the one year that I, another game I remember vividly and watching Chuck Knox. And this was kind of like, it was like a rebirth game for Kurt Warren. He had 32 carries, 207 yards, three touchdowns and an overtime win against Kansas City, 51 to 48. Uh, and there was a victory. And it's, I just, my memories of Chuck Knox were, you know, I said at the time yesterday, it, to me, he was my favorite coach of all time because that was because I was just a kid. I was a youth that fell in love with sports, mm-hmm. it, like right mm-hmm. in my wheelhouse of my fandom. Uh, yeah. were those guys, and he was the leader of it. And, Everybody's got uh, that. I mean, yeah. you've heard me. Have, that, for me, that's the Pacers. When I was yeah. a kid, they were winning the ABA titles, and all of those guys. It's etched in your memory more than what happened yesterday to me. Sure. You know, these are deep seated things way yeah. back in that bean of yours that are always going to be in there. It's the crowd. It's the smell of the kingdom. It's the guy smoking behind us in the kingdom. <sighs> it's my dad and his buddies sharing the king beers that were literally like two dollars. And uh, it's the troughs. God, I mean, you know, one of the, the first troughs. things. Yeah, I swear to God. Don't tell me you missed the troughs. Yes. the One of the first things I thought of with Knox oh, in the boy. kingdom is the troughs. The troughs are the best thing ever. Look, Chuck doesn't even they're, miss the troughs. They're okay? great. The best thing with the troughs and then the, and then the drunk guys confusing the hand-washing places for the troughs well, in the kingdom. Yeah, that was and then you'd walk in there and yeah. the guy's peeing and where you're supposed to wash your hands. These are memories. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure oh. glad we, we, well, we should have kept that building. Oh. <laughs> We should have kept that building. I'd love to still have the kingdom. But uh, rest in peace, uh, Chuck Knox, uh, my favorite coach of all time, uh, passing away yesterday at the age of 86. Neil Scott's got headlines for you coming up in five minutes. and Then it's lunch with listeners brought to you by the Other Coast Cafe Gambling. Do you gamble? Will this now change your desire to gamble more? What happened with the Supreme Court today? We'll discuss coming up with lunch with listeners.